You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. That was awesome. Well, welcome to Southern Sunday, man. Today has been awesome. I am uh, excited to see all of those pies out there. I've tasted some in the first service, and man, that winter was like a Buckeye pie, chocolate, peanut butter goodness. It was a blessing, and uh, I might be a little hopped up on sugar in this service, so bear with me, but uh, excited to see who's going to win the, the beard contest as well today, and I want to make sure I enunciate the D and the word beard, because evidently we haven't. Had a couple guys show up today upset looking for the beer contest. And I'm like, bro, that ain't here. You go to the Methodist church down the road for that one. That is not happening up in here. I'm just kidding. Man, I love the concept and the name Southern Sunday. Uh, When we first uh, had the idea and we started talking about it, I loved it because I love the South. I love Southern people. I love Southern food. I love Southern weather. I love the South. Man, I married me a Southern woman. Mm, It is good in the South, right? And uh, if you're new to the South, maybe you're still kind of getting used to our ways. We talk a little different. Uh, We know that, and we're okay with that. Got a little draw, a little twang to the accent. That's okay. We we like to use the word y'all, you know, and so that's good. And a lot of Northerners like to pick up on that. That's a good word to use. Everybody just say that for a minute. Just say y'all. See, that just feels good. I want to go with y'all. What are we going to do? You know, just feels good, right? I love the South. I love how we don't say, uh, I need, when you go to the grocery store, you know, I don't need a shopping cart. I need me a shopping buggy, right? You ever, you ever hear somebody say that? A little, little, little different. Not, not everybody says that. In the, in the North, they say, you want some pop or some soda, right? In the South, everybody says, you want some Coke. Everything's Coke. You're like, I didn't want a Sprite. I wanted a Coke or whatever, vice versa. It's like we, we just kind of blast it out there. We don't say the word wrestle. We say the word wrestle. <laughs> Let's go to the wrestling match. And that's okay. We like that. A lot of people say, I'm not going to Walmart. They say, I'm going to the Walmart, right? I got to put that article in. I'm going to the Walmart. People don't say, I'm, I'm getting ready to go. People say, I'm I'm fixing to go. That took me a minute to get that one when I first uh, moved to Tennessee. But uh, a lot of people say, well, bless your heart. (laughs) That is not a compliment. (laughs) It means that you're an idiot. (laughs) But we genuinely care and and are sorry that you're an idiot. That's what I think it means. We're, We're genuinely sorry that you're an idiot, right? And so we like to use that. I, I love in the South how churches have homecomings, right? You go to a church homecoming, it's always a church potluck, you know? Everybody brings food, scares all the germaphobes to death. Like, we don't do that anymore. Uh, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of churches still do that, you know? And as a kid, I would show up to those things, and everybody brought a casserole. Like, as a kid, you don't know what's in the casserole, so you just stick to the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes, and you're safe, right? And I'll never forget trying a deviled egg at one of those places, and so I thought it was like some kind of dessert because it had that, you know, those red sprinkles on top, you know? Those were not red sugary sprinkles. It was hot, and I remember just spitting it out, and it was disgusting. And so I love the South, too, because of the winter. Uh, Number one is not as cold as the North. Amen. All the, all the transplants so want to give a little amen to that. And I also love the South in the winter because everybody freaks out when it snows, you know. 
As soon as Matt Heacon says, hey, chance of snow tomorrow, everybody runs to the store, got to get your milk and bread and, e- bread and eggs. It's like we all get this craving for French toast for some reason. It's like, we gotta, why want French toast? And so uh, I love that about the South. I mean, there's so many things I, I love about the South, and, and, and I love living here, love being here. And, and uh, another thing that we uh, really kind of see in the South is that pretty much if you grew up here, um, it's hard to find someone who would say that they don't believe in God. Like many Southerners would say that they're a Christian. Many Southerners would say that they believe in God. Many Southerners would even say that, you know, at some point they were baptized. And, you know, it's interesting because if you grew up in this area and you're a girl, like at some point you grew up and you bought an Easter dress and you went to church at least one time in your life. Or if you grew up here uh, and you're, you're a guy, you, you had an Easter suit or some kind of Easter outfit. Uh, if you grew up around here, you probably went to a vacation Bible school at least one time uh, in your life. And, and so uh, if, if you grew up in this area, there was, there's probably a pastor somewhere in your family. Like I got an uncle or a cousin or married into whatever. And so we always kind of see that as well. It seems like when you're in the South and you're, you're talking to people who were raised here, everybody believes in Jesus. Everybody that you, know, you talk to would even, even use this kind of language. They would say, you know, I, I you know, made a decision uh, to follow Jesus. But the interesting thing is that when you read the Bible, Jesus never said that he wanted a decision. He said that he wanted disciples. And so when you come to a culture like the South, sometimes we get that confused. Sometimes we don't realize that Jesus is calling us to be in a relationship with him. And I'm afraid that we've got a lot of good old Southern people that are here today. And by the world's standards, you would say that you're a pretty good person. By the world's standards, you're, you're a good dude. But by God's standards, you have not given your life to Jesus. And therefore, you walk in here today and you feel empty. The Bible would call you an enemy of God because spiritually speaking, your spirit is still dead. And so when we are talking about like really giving our life to Jesus, what we're saying is that we are in a relationship with him and he gives us hope. He gives us a desire to be holy, to to live with purpose. And and so that when we die one day, yes, we experience heaven. But in this life, we get to experience God and his power and his purpose and his presence in our life. So today I want to show you the difference between a Southern Christian and a follower of Jesus, exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a commitment today to give your life to Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus and experience that free gift of salvation. I'm also going to give you the the opportunity to, to get baptized today, because when we read the scripture, Jesus says, yes, I want you to, to follow me. And he says, I want you to be baptized as well. And so I know when we do this, a lot of people say, well, I don't have any clothes. I don't have any whatever. And it's like, bro, we have got everything that you need. We've got all the clothes that you're going to need. We've got uh, towels. We've got the hair dryers. We've got the brushes. If you're nice, Pastor Landon will let you borrow some of his hair gel and it will all all be good, right? So you're going to have an opportunity to do that. After the first service, we baptized several people, and it was exciting to see. But to do this, to kind of discover these answers, we want to look in the Bible at a guy who was kind of a lot like you and I. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. 
This guy that I'm talking about loved the outdoors. He, he was a country boy. He lived off the grid. I mean, he was a man's man. Like he, he you know, hunted his own food. He took care of himself out off the grid. He lived in the wilderness. He lived off the land. He didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't care what clothes he wore. He, he spoke his mind. He was loud and a, a, a little, you know, kind of in your face. And, and he was actually a cousin of Jesus. His name is John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this about his cousin, John. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. In other words, John the Baptist is the goat. (laughs) He's the greatest of all time. Like, it's not Tom Brady. It's not Michael Jordan. Or if you're a LeBron fan, it's not him either. Like, John the Baptist is the greatest of all time. This is pretty incredible when you think about it. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is saying that this guy, John, is the greatest dude who has ever existed. Now, why? What made him so great? What made him so interesting? What made him so special? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we'll begin to uncover a little bit about who John is, John is and what his message is. It says this in verse 1, in those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So he's out in the country. He's preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. What this simply is, is in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Isaiah prophesied that there would be a prophet who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And what Matthew was saying when he wrote this book is that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 4. Now when John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins." But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those were the religious leaders of the day, coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming, speaking about Jesus, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, this is a guy who didn't care what his clothes wore. He wore wore a a camel hair jacket, right? He was 
wearing a leather belt. I'm not sure why a leather belt was so distinctive because we all, all the dudes in the room probably have a leather belt on. But at that time, that would have been like not the in style. He didn't care. His diet was locust and wild honey. And uh, I mean, that's, a, that's basically a, a, a protein and a sugar. <laughs> it's an organic man's diet. A little protein, a little sugar, and that's what he's living by. I mean, I mean, this is a dude who lived off the land. And I love it. And his message was simple. His message was, the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent and bear good fruit. Let's break that down for a minute. What does repent and bear good fruit mean? Well, the word repent simply means that you have a change of mind. You have a change of direction in your life. Like you're living your life in this direction. And when you repent, you turn from your sin. You have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction in your life. And now you are moving in the opposite direction. And so you say, well, why would you need to have a change of direction? Well, it's really simple. Because of sin in the world, every single person in here has sin in their life. And because of that sin, we live selfishly for ourselves. The Bible says that we are enemies of God as we live in that sin. Our spirits are dead inside of us. And so because of that sin, we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin, confess that sin, and turn to God. And this is what people were doing. They were coming out to hear John speak in the, in the middle of the wilderness to hear him preach this message. And, and one day we saw here in verses 13, 14, 16 that, that Jesus comes to this environment, this wilderness setting, where the Jordan is, hearing John preach, and he says, I want to be baptized. And John says, whoa, 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 I'm not supposed to be baptizing you. You're supposed to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, nope, this, is, this has got to happen like this. And so, so John baptizes him right there. Now, that's very interesting, isn't it? Like, why would Jesus be baptized? Why, why is that important? Well, later on in his ministry, he tells us to get baptized, he tells us to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is modeling to you and I what he would later tell us to do as a follower of Jesus. Now, why would he say do this? Well, a couple of reasons. The first reason is that baptism is a symbol. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save me. But it's a symbol. It's an external symbol of an internal commitment. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, he tells us to be baptized because that is a symbol. It's me going public to the world. Like I'm telling everybody that I'm a follower of Jesus now. And so the symbolism is that the old Trent died. As I go under the water, Jesus was buried. I am buried with him. The old Trent died. I repented of that lifestyle. And then as I come up out of the water, it's the symbol of the resurrection of Jesus and the new birth that Jesus has given to me. So I'm a brand new creation in Christ. And so Jesus says, I, I, I'm going to model this to you. And I want you to follow that demonstration because it's going to be you going public with your faith. And it's going to demonstrate that internal commitment. It's going to demonstrate and connect to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the death of your old life, and the birth of your new beginning. Now, in verse 8, he says, I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means that true repentance continues to prove true by my continued obedience. 
And so we have a lot of people that want to get saved. We have a lot of people that want heaven. Obviously in the South, everybody wants to be saved. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But the, the road that people think will get them there is to show up at church one day or to simply say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And, and if I say I believe in Jesus, then that means I'm going to heaven. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. This is a good example of if you have really given your life to Jesus, then the evidence of that faith in Jesus continues to prove true by you and I continuing to bear good fruit. So problem is, though, I still have sin in my life, even as a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm not perfect. I still mess up. I still have mistakes. And so, so how does that flesh out? And so to really fulfill this text here today, if we're going to live our life and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, it would mean that my attitude in my heart is that I'm, I'm constantly trying to grow in my faith and I'm constantly trying to, to, to move through that sin, confess that sin. And as I grow closer to Jesus, now I'm, I'm, I'm overcoming that little by little. And so the difference is in the South is you've got these people who have come to church at some point, said some kind of prayer, and then gone and they've lived their life however they want to live. And the reality is that that doesn't give us a lot of proof that you ever really had faith in your life because when you experience Jesus, your life changes. And if you didn't experience a life change, then I would really question whether or not you really have Jesus. Because John is telling us that he wants us to experience Jesus. He wants us to experience his, 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 his life. He wants us to experience him in a, in a way that we have a genuine relationship with him. And so if, if you don't want to experience Jesus and you just want heaven, again, I question whether or not you even understand who Jesus is at all. So we're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so when we receive Jesus here uh, at, at FC or wherever, we love to celebrate that. But true repentance, you know, is, is kind of a, let's see how it goes and, and, and what happens in the next few weeks and months. And, and, and let's watch this guy's life and let's watch this lady's life and see if, if this really is, you know, a genuine faith that they're living out in their life. In verses 10 to 12, John is teaching that God has appointed a day when he's going to judge the world. He says that his axe is already coming down on the root. Why the root? Well, if you've ever tried to get rid of some kind of plant in your yard, a bush, a tree, or whatever, you can't just cut it down uh, because if you just cut it down, the roots are still alive. You're going to have some kind of branch, you know, grow out or, or whatever. You, get, you actually got to cut the root out in order to get rid of it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to the source of life. I am taking the axe of my judgment that is going to uproot this very life as you and I know it. There will be a day when God comes and judges this world, and at that point, it will be too late for any of us to make any kind of profession of faith in Jesus. Jesus came, and he offered us life. He died on the cross for our sins. When Jesus comes again, he will not be offering us life. He will be coming in judgment. And this is what John is referring to here. Everybody in this room is going to live forever somewhere. The question is, where is that going to be? Is that going to be with God forever? Or is that going to be separated with, from him forever? What's interesting here, though, is that John is preaching this before Jesus even dies on the cross. 
So he's, he's talking about a repentance. He's talking about, you know, living a, a life that's bearing fruit, but Jesus hasn't even died. And so it's like, what's going on here? And it's real simple. Think about it. Every single person, every culture across the world, we all recognize that we have sin in our life. We all recognize that there are, there are you know, mishaps and mistakes and brokenness in our life. Nobody would claim to be perfect. And, and so because we all have sin in our life, every single person in this room kind of deals with guilt and shame in different ways. And, and because we deal with that guilt and shame, we're always trying to process those feelings. Like, what am I going to do with this? I feel like crap. I feel like life isn't worth living. I, I feel like it's just empty. Why am I going to work every day? Why, why kids? Why marriage? Why all this stuff? I, I don't get it. None of it's bringing me happiness. And you know, you have those feelings and you're like, what do I do with all that? And, and, and what culture does with it? And I tried it. You probably tried it too. But even before you came to faith in Christ, you, you tried to live a good life. So we try to do good things. So I'm trying to do better and I'm trying to treat people better in hopes that as I treat people better, I'm going to feel better about the mistakes that I've made, but it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't help us overcome those feelings and, 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 and those issues. What, what else do we try to do to try to alleviate some of that pressure in our life? Well, we, we try religion. And so we try this religion or that religion or that denomination, or we read that book, or we try to follow that, you know, train of thought. And, and what we find is that if all we're after is religion, that doesn't answer those questions either. It doesn't really help us solve any of those issues that we're feeling some of us try to ignore the whole thing. Let's just not even think about it or talk about it. And so I'm just going to just kind of do my job and, and just kind of live life. And, and I'm not going to mess with church stuff. And, and, and for you to be here today is, is like a miracle. Somebody invited you and you're just like, all right, I'll go. You know, I'll, I'll eat some pie or whatever. And, and, and so you're still kind of questioning the whole thing anyway. And, and so you're wrestling with these emotions and feelings. And here's the reality. This was true in John's day as well. Like the people who lived in the first century dealt with that guilt and shame just like you and I try to deal with it. We try to deal with it in these ways and, and we try to, try to process it. And, 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 and the, the reality is none of it actually solves the problem. In the Gospel of Luke, he writes uh, about this event where Jesus is baptized. And what he includes in the story is, is something that Matthew doesn't include in his story. And that is, as Jesus is walking down to get baptized, John looks at him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was in that moment that John is recognizing that Jesus is the answer. It's not just about living a good life. It's, it's not about religion. What it's about is understanding who Jesus is and living our life for and through the power of Jesus. This is why God sent his son to the world in the first place. Jesus lived this perfect life. He never sinned, making him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus showed us how to live. He showed us how to live with purpose, how to have peace with God. He showed us how to enjoy life, how to be a leader. And then he willingly went to the cross to die. And he is going to the cross, and as he is dying, he is absorbing the sin of mankind. And God is, is placing that sin upon Jesus as a sacrifice for me and for you. God is not just going to provide forgiveness without a payment for that forgiveness. You might say, why not? Why can't God just say, you're forgiven? Poof, he's God. 
Well, if he were to do that, then he wouldn't be a righteous judge. If someone confessed to a murder, and we knew there was evidence that this person, you know, murdered this person, but the judge said, you know what, I'm going to let it slide this time. Don't do it again. You seem like a nice guy. And let him go free. What would you and I do? We would freak out, right? We'd be, we'd be marching, picketing, Twitter would blow up. Why? Because this is, an, this is a judge who is not right. He is not a, a righteous judge. And so this, is, this would be a, a, a tragedy. And so in the same way, God's not just going to forgive sin. He needs a, a payment to sin so that he can demonstrate that he is a righteous judge. But he's also demonstrating how much he loves us and that he is providing a way for you and I to even experience forgiveness and salvation in the first place. So Jesus is taking my place. He's taking your place on the cross. And so then the scripture says that we are to put our faith in Jesus, that his death, his burial, and resurrection secures our salvation. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What John the Baptist would say is, when you make that confession of faith and it is authentic, then you're going to live a life that produces fruit. So the question then for all of us that we've got to wrestle with is, am I producing any fruit in my life that gives evidence that I actually am trusting Jesus with my life? Or have I just kind of fit into the mold of a, of a good old Southern dude trying to live a good life? I've got some good things happening in my family or whatever. But are we missing the very reality of what Jesus is calling and asking us to do? So if you trust Jesus today, here's what he will give you. And if you have trusted Jesus, here's what you already know. Number one, you will know God's purpose for your life. You see, John the Baptist knew God's purpose for his life. In verse 11, it says that he, he's going to baptize with water, but Jesus is much mightier than him, and Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. John says, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. John knew his role. His role was to preach and prepare the way for Jesus. Do you know your purpose? Let me ask you a question. Why are you trying so hard? Why are, you, why are you trying so hard to be somebody that you're not? You know, we, we, we work so hard to try to fit in with this group or that group. They've got money or they've got a life that we kind of want. And so it's almost like we're back in middle school trying to get the acceptance from, you know, these 40, 50-year-old friends that we have. <clears throat> we're trying to look a certain way and act a certain way. But it, it, it's so much work. It takes so much effort. And at the end of the day, you're just like, well, why am I doing this? Like, I don't even really like these people. Why are you trying so hard to be somebody you're not? You see, God created you for a purpose. He created you for a reason. And until you discover what that purpose is and what that reason is, you're always going to be trying to fit in with people. And you're never going to feel like you do. Because you got to discover your purpose. Now, God isn't going to give that to you in one second. It's like I take that first step of faith, and as I take that step, then God opens up a little bit more. And then as he opens up that next door, I take that step and, and God begins to show me little bit by little bit what his purpose and plan is for my life. And so that's where some of you are at. You know, this is why God created his church. God designed the church to help equip you to discover your purpose and live for him. 
If, if you're in a church where that's not the goal or that's not happening, then you need a new church. At FC, we're really excited about giving steps to people to help them discover this, and we call it the journey. The first step is base camp, and in base camp, you, you really discover God's purpose uh, for the church and for you. Camp two is the second step. It helps you discover how God designed you for, for ministry, for life. You discover who you really are, your gifts, and, 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 and how God wants to use those. Camp three, we, we help you become a leader. What's it look like to be a godly man, a godly woman in leadership? And, in, and then this year we started the school of ministry, which really takes us to a really deep level of what it looks like to be a leader in God's church. And so the steps are there. The discovery of your purpose is at hand. You just have to take those steps. Perhaps today God will show you that it's time for you to take that next step of faith. You know, when you trust God, the second thing that you get is, is, is you make God your priority. You make God your priority. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. You know, that's the very essence of what it looks like to live a life of faith. I've got to continually want more of Jesus. God, I need more of you in my life and less of Trent. Because the more that Trent rises up, the more selfish I am and, and, and the more self-driven I am. And the more of Jesus I have, the more maturity I have. And so this is what it looks like to be and to give God priority in my life. John wanted people to experience this. John points out, he calls these religious leaders in verse 7, 8, and 9, he's, he's calling them a brood of vipers. Now, now, you might say, that's a little harsh. We shouldn't talk to people that way, right? To call somebody a snake today means that they're deceptive or they're deadly or, you know, they're not good people, right? And, and this is what John is boldly saying, hey, you guys are deceiving people. And I think we need more people who will speak truth into our lives. Because the more people that you're listening to that's just patting you on the back and saying, you're good, honey, just keep on doing it. You know, you're going to make it. I mean, they're just enabling your bad behavior. What you need is the truth of God's word in your life. And this is why John is so awesome. Because he comes on the scene, and he's like, you guys, you guys think that just because Abraham is your father, like you're good with God. This is essentially what he is saying in verse 9. He says, you, you have Abraham as your father? Ancestry.com, right? So back up all the Jews, like their faith, and, and, and it really established through the first covenant with Abraham. And so they were born into this family. And so John is like, just because you were born into that family does not mean that you are good with God. Doesn't mean that you're right with God. Doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Man, if that doesn't speak to some good Southerners in the room, I don't know what will. Like, because you were raised and grandma loved Jesus, right? She was the best. She could cook, but she also loved Jesus. And you went to church for her, with her from time to time. But guess what? Grandma's faith ain't going to get you into heaven, your grandfather's faith, how great your parents are, the fact that they bring you to church, nothing that they do is ever going to earn a relationship with God or give you heaven. That is a personal decision that you make and that you live and that you have to own. And so this is what John is reminding them. And so we, we've got to hear some truth in the room today. Like I get passionate about this because I love the South, but one of the hardest things about ministry in the South is that everybody thinks that they're good, they're saved. And so I got to convince people, no, you're not good. 
The Bible says that you, your very best is like a filthy rag before a holy God. And you need the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to give you hope, to give you purpose, and the promise of heaven in your life. The third thing that we get when we are trusting in Jesus is, is we uh, trust that God, uh, we we're able to trust him even through suffering. So when, when my faith is in Jesus and I'm experiencing seasons of suffering and, and difficulties in my life, what we understand is that even in that suffering and through that suffering, we can trust God. See, John goes through a season of suffering um, in the, the Gospel of Luke, verse 7. If you want to turn there, you can turn there and read it, but I'm basically going to just tell the story. In Luke 7, 18, uh, we are reminded that John is put in prison. John was, was, was bold, right? He didn't care what people thought. He, he told it like it was, right? And, 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 and when he spoke about the king, King Herod's sin, they didn't like that. <laughs> so they threw him in jail. And so here's John the Baptist, the greatest of all time. He's in jail. And what he does is he brings two of his friends, two of his disciples in the jail. And, 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 and when he's baptizing Jesus, you know, however many days, weeks earlier, he's like, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now he's in prison. And his circumstances have changed a little bit. So he brings his two boys in. And he's like, hey, listen, no plan. You go to Jesus and you ask him. Is he the one? Is he the Messiah? No playing around anymore. Want to know the truth. <laughs> so they leave. They go find Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the goat, the greatest of all time, <laughs> he had some seasons of doubt. He was a little unsure. And so his two disciples, they go to, 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 to Jesus and they're like, hey, your cousin John, he really wants to know, like, are you the one? And Jesus is like, hold on just a minute. Watch this. And he steps away, and he heals a blind man. And somebody with leprosy he heals. He raises the dead. He heals a few people possessed by demons. The Bible says in about an hour, he heals all these people. And he goes back to those two guys. He was like, yo, did y'all just see what just happened here? Like, yeah, we just saw Will you go tell my cousin that, yes, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. Just like Neo in the Matrix when he learned that he was the one, right? Just like when Harry Potter learned that he was the wizard. John is in prison now. And he's like, whoa, all right. He is the one. That's good news if you're in prison and your cousin is going to be the king, right? That means that he's going to get me up out of here. Get me out of here, man. This is good news. Now, we don't know this in the scripture, but I'm just thinking, like, as they go back and they tell John, he's got to be pretty pumped because they believe the Messiah was going to be the king, that he was going to restore Jerusalem and, and Judaism and all this kind of He didn't really know what, the, what it meant, but he had to be excited, like, I'm going to get out of here. But if, you, if you've read the story, you know kind of how it ends, that John doesn't get out of prison here. I'm sure there were many prayers like, God, get me up out of here. Send my cousin Jesus to get me you know, out of here and save me. 
In fact, what happens is because he had spoke against King Herod, and specifically King Herod's brother, who was married to this woman named Herodias, and, and they had an inappropriate relationship, and, and he, he spoke evidently against that relationship, and so, so they hated him. Herodias wanted to kill John, but, but King Herod was like, no, nah, we, we can't kill him. Let's just keep him in jail. And, and then one day, Herodias' daughter came in and did this exotic dance before the king, and, and Herod sees this, and he's so like enamored with her. He was like, hey, whatever you want, I'm going to give to you. She goes and she talks to her mom, and her mom's like, we want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And she goes back, and she was like, yeah, so we want John's head on a platter. And the king was upset, but he had to keep his oath. And so here's John in jail. He's in prison. Imagine a dungeon, right? Imagine the guards coming to the door, the iron, you know, clanging of the chains and the keys opening John thinking in his mind, Jesus is the one. Maybe this is my exit. Maybe I'm, I'm free, but in chains, bound, they bring him out of the cell, take him to some area we don't know, but alone, afraid, he kneels down and the sword is lifted high. And I can only imagine in his head, like what in the world God Jesus called me the greatest. Why aren't you stepping in here? Why are you saving me? The sword comes and John dies. Let me ask you a question. Do you think for even a second after John's death, he regretted following and trusting God? course not. Because the second his life was taken, he opened his eyes in the presence of God for eternity. Yeah. So yeah, it's worth it. You say, man, I don't know if I could do that. Well, when you trust Jesus, you learn to trust him no matter what circumstance you're facing. I get it. Some of you are in the room today and you're like, man, you don't know what I'm dealing with and what, what, what's going on. I, I've got this situation. I've got this taking place in my life. And, and, and it just seems like God's not there. It seems like God's not answering me and I don't see him doing anything in my life. Hey, let's talk to John for a minute. His circumstances did not change, but neither did his faith in God. And some of you got to learn that when you trust Jesus, you're actually discovering your purpose. You're actually giving God priority in your life. And you're actually trusting God in every circumstance that you're going through. So I, I wonder today, have you done that? When you look at your life, is there evidence, is there fruit in your life that you have truly trusted Jesus for your salvation? You know, this is really a, an old um, illustration. I remember this as a kid, but let's just say that, you know, I have faith in this chair. I have faith in this chair that if I were to sit down, it would hold me up. It would like hold my weight. I believe structurally it's strong enough. And, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I believe that this chair could hold me up. And, 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 and so I have faith in it. But, but I'm not actually demonstrating my faith until what? Yeah, until I have a seat. See, the same could be said for some of you. You believe God. Yeah, I believe there's a God. Jesus, yeah, I mean, I, I, think he's, I think he's real. But you've never actually put your faith and trust in Jesus and made him a priority 
the priority in your life. You've believed, you've, you've looked, you've never been against, but you've never said, yeah, Jesus, not only do I believe you, but today I'm gonna trust you. It's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different life. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are saying, I trust you in this circumstance. I trust that you have a plan and purpose for my life. I, I trust that when I die, I have heaven as my home. It changes everything in your life. And for some of you in the room today, you've never actually done that. You've been around church people. You're a good kind of person from time to time. But ultimately, you've never taken this step. Well, today... I'm going to invite you to do that. Let me ask all of you to stand. As you stand, I want to just ask that nobody move around and nobody leave yet. Because in this moment, I truly believe that, that God is working in many of your hearts. Like you are here today and you're kind of tracking like you've not tracked before. And it's almost as if I'm talking specifically to you today. And so... As everybody just kind of bows their head, I'm going to invite those who would say, you know, Trent, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to nail this down. I want to give him my life today. I'm going to ask you to do something. Just like in this illustration, I'm going to ask you to finally, not just say you believe, but demonstrate that faith by just taking a seat right where you're at. So if you want to give your life to Jesus today, have a seat. Anybody at all? Anybody at all say, man, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Praise God. See you, young man. Ladies, praise God. Anybody else? I want to receive Jesus today. I'm just going to take a seat. I see people sitting all over the room. In fact, if you're, if you're next to someone who's sitting, would you just put your hand on their shoulder and just as a sign that you're, you're loving on them and praying for them right now. Some of you would say, you know what, I, I, maybe I, I gave my life to Jesus uh, at a, in a certain season of my life, but I was never baptized. And so for you, you need to take a seat and, and take that next step of baptism. How many of you would say, that's me? And if that's you, why don't you take a seat? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in Jesus today, and I'm going to go public with my faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him in baptism Anybody at all? I see you guys. Praise God. Folks sitting all over the place. If you're ready to receive Christ, you just simply make this prayer your prayer. Just tell God. Just say, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, but that he rose on the third day. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my, of my sin. Come into my life. Save me today. Help me to live my life completely surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You made that prayer today. God is right now changing and flooding your spirit changing the dead you and making you alive. 
And so we want to celebrate that with you. And we want that decision to now move into a step of obedience outwardly by getting baptized. So the water's warm, towels are ready. Landon's hair gel is sitting back there waiting on you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And as you stand up, I'm going to ask you to move in this direction to the back of the room where our volunteers are going to high five you and celebrate you and praise God for what he's doing in your life right now. And folks, we're going to see some folks get baptized today. You excited about that? Feel free to take your friend with you, take your kids with you, take whoever wants to go with you to help you in this season. God, we love you. Thank you for changing lives in this room. Lord, thank you for being present here and experiencing you in a powerful way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's all stand. Let's make our way to the back here. Yeah, let's praise God for what he's doing today. Let's sing. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.